remember the first time that I met Ellie. It was sort of an odd experience. Ellie lived with my grandmother, and Ellie's sister Tilly lived with my grandmother's sister, my great aunt Elsie. My grandmother and my aunt Elsie had adopted Ellie and Tilly. Neither of them were very old when I first met them. They were both small, but they, they both made a lot of noise and ate quite a lot. When my brother and I, my brother and I lived about five minutes from my grandmother's house, when my brother and I would go to, to her house to visit, we would often play with Ellie, and then when we were at Elsie's house, we would play with Tilly outside running around with them. So here's the thing to know about Ellie and Tilly. They were pigs. They were <laughs> pot-bellied pigs that my grandmother and her sister raised as pets. Neither of them ever got very big. They were about the size of my Boston Terrier, and they lived in their houses like a cat or a dog would. And I realized that most people might think that it's strange to have a pig as a house pet, and you would be absolutely right about that. But my grandmother and her sister loved those pigs, and I always think about those pigs when I hear this story from Luke's gospel account. Let's back up just a little bit. Luke chapter 8 is where we find ourselves this morning, and, and Luke chapter 8 is jam-packed with so much stuff. There's so much going on as we read about Jesus preaching and teaching and doing ministry in this chapter. In Luke chapter 8, we heal, hear the, the telling of the parable of the sower. That's what happens at the very beginning of the chapter. A, a sower went out to sow his seed, Jesus says, and, and then a couple of verses later he explains that the seed is the word of God, and this is a parable that you all know very well. Then just a few verses later, we're told that Jesus calms a fierce storm, and by doing that, he terrifies and amazes his disciples with his astounding power. After that, we hear our story for today of Jesus healing a man overtaken by many evil forces. And then finally, chapter 8 ends with Jesus healing a woman who has been plagued with a bleeding problem for 12 years. And then after that, he brings a young girl back to life. All of this happens in chapter 8 of Luke's gospel account. The miracles that we hear about in Luke chapter 8 are the, the gospel writer's way of, of telling us, his readers, his hearers, that the one who is the Son of God has power over nature. He has power over demonic, evil spirits. This person has power over illnesses. And, and maybe most importantly, this, this man, this Jesus, has power even over death. Nothing is beyond or above the power of God. That's the message that the gospel writer is trying to convey to us. So back to the pigs. We're, we're told that Jesus and his disciples arrive in the land of the Gerasene people, and as they, as they step out of their boat, the first person to greet them is not a well-wisher, it's not a follower, not someone who seeks guidance or counsel, but a man who is possessed by demons. This man, we are told, wore no clothes, and he didn't live with the rest of the Gerasene people, but he, he lived out, out in the tombs among those who were dead. He was locked in chains and shackles. He was watched by guards, but even those things could not hold him down. And maybe the, the most horrible part of this story for me is that this man couldn't even remember his name. When Jesus asks him what his name is, what he's called by his family and his friends, he replies that he is called Legion because there are many evil forces within him. 
his story is so tragic and his life so miserable, so tormented that he doesn't even know who he is anymore. Now, I don't have to tell you that a name tells us a lot about who a person is or where a person comes from. Just look around this beautiful church and you'll see many names on plaques, names that are familiar to you. Many of these names on those plaques still live on in children and in grandchildren and sisters and in brothers even today. Names are who we are and how we are known to others. And for this man to have forgotten what he was called by his loved ones is, I think, truly devastating. And so after this this possessed man reveals to Jesus that there are many evil forces living within him, the demons, we are told, begin to beg Jesus. They begin to have this conversation with Jesus. They ask him not to send them back to their place of origin, but, but instead to send them instead into the, into the herd of pigs. And when Jesus does this, we're told that the, the pigs promptly run into a lake and drown themselves. The swine herds, the pig farmers, they see what happened and they are amazed, they're terrified, they are upset. They run off to tell the others and when they return they, they find something remarkable. This formerly unnamed man, the man possessed and overtaken by demons and evil forces, is no longer crazed like he was before. The man, we are told, has been changed. He's been transformed. He's been, he's been made new, and he's sitting clothed at the feet of Jesus. And as the text says, he's, he's in his right mind. The man has been released. He's been set free. This Jesus has power even over the evil forces in the world. He has power to heal and to make new those things that have been burdened by the terrors of life. Now, gospel stories about demon possession are not always the easiest stories for us to to hear and to read, and here's why. We don't often experience demons and demon possession in the same way as the people in the Bible sometimes experience those things, except for maybe in, in movies and occasionally on the Discovery Channel. Most of us have never actually seen a demon possessed person, and yet, and yet we all know that, that evil exists, that evil is at times an active force in our lives, and and in the world, all that we have to do is, is turn on the television to witness some of the evil happening in this world even today. A week ago, 49 people who were out celebrating and dancing and enjoying life were, were gunned down by a terrorist who was clearly taken over by, by hate, by evil. Just a year ago, a year ago almost to the day, we were praying for the people of Mother Emanuel AME Church after another person filled with hate and rage gunned down nine people as they were gathered together to pray and to study the Bible. Evil exists. And I think the question that we have to ask ourselves is, is how do we, how do we as people of faith choose to respond as we see our nation, our friends, our families being violated again and again by violence and hate and evil. How will you respond? We can do like the people in this story do with this possessed man. We can ignore it as best as we can, or I think we can choose to step in and work to heal through our prayers, through our actions, through our love. I often wonder when I read this story what this man would have, have been like if, 
that community had decided to go to him rather than make him an outcast? Would, would things have changed for him? Would his life have been different in some way? Could they have begun to work do the healing work of Jesus that Jesus would later do if they had, they had gone to him earlier on? I don't know. We, we're not told. But, but I do think that there is power in community, and I think that they could have done some good if they had wanted to reach out and try. I think we as people of faith must not be afraid to exercise the demonic evil forces that plague our country and plague our lives, whether it be gun violence or terrorism or mental illness or addiction or greed or anger or jealousy, how can we be healed and offer healing to those who are in need? I listened a great deal uh, to a great deal of the filibuster that took place on Wednesday and into Thursday morning. In fact, I even went over to the Capitol late Wednesday night at one point so I could sit in the Senate gallery and listen to what was happening. Some of the members of the Senate, as you know, led by Chris Murphy of Connecticut, decided that after the shootings in Orlando, they couldn't just let Congress get away with with having only a few moments of silence and then moving on from the tragedy. They wanted to act. They wanted to work for change. They wanted to help heal some of the wounds that are so often caused by easy access to guns. Senator Cory Booker at one point during the filibuster said, he said this, we allow our inability to do everything to undermine our determination to do something. We allow our inability to do everything to undermine our determination to do something. It's it's fair to say that new, stricter gun laws will not stop all future mass shootings or acts of terror. I know that, and you know that. They will still happen. Bad, hate-filled people will surely find ways to get weapons that have been made harder to get. But what if those laws stop one other Orlando from happening? Or one other San Bernardino from happening, or one other Charleston, or one other Aurora, or one other Sandy Hook. Isn't it worth trying? It's, it's clear to me that what is currently in place isn't working, and so why don't we together try something new? There's a parable that I once heard about a a farmer who had some animals that he kept in a barn that had gotten old and creaky and leaky. The farmer became concerned for his animals' well-being, and so he decided that he wanted to build a new one for them. He built this new barn and moved all of the animals into that space and was glad that they were safe and that they had a dry place to stay and to live. And then one day a violent storm came. The, the new barn held up in the storm, but the farmer wanted to check in on the animals. When he got out to the new barn, he was shocked to see that he had forgotten to close the door completely, and all of his animals were gone. He was frantic. He started to search all around for them, and then he found them, huddled together under the leaky, old, dangerous barn. Oftentimes, it's easier to hold on to what we know than it is to embrace the new and the different. 
when Jesus comes to the land of the Gerasenes, he brings with him the possibility of, of new beginnings, of transformation, of healing, but that will mean that some things will have to come to an end. Jesus comes to this tormented man and offers him his life back, and the story ends with him changed, healed, renewed, as he sits at the feet of Jesus, ready to go out into the world to share the good news. How will we respond to evil in our lives and in our world? It might mean giving something up. It might mean reordering or changing or being disrupted in some way so that things can be made new. Healing and transformation, these are scary things because they mean that life is going to be different, that a new order will come into place. But if we want to change the world, if we want to drive out hate, if we want to exercise the evil that is so prevalent in our lives and in our nation, then we have to be willing to try something new and something different. And we as followers of Jesus have to be willing to be healed so that once we are healed, we can go out and begin the process of healing others. The healing that Jesus offers to us is costly. But I hope that we realize, like, like the man in our story for today, that it's absolutely worth it. Amen. Amen.